Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. What is going on, my friends? Welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James, and I am super pumped to be here with you all today. I hope you're having a good summer so far, friends. I hope you're having a good summer and just doing whatever it is you do in the summer. Uh, For me, our child has been sick for the entire summer so far, and so that has been a fascinating experience. I think he's been, he's had like a cough slash respiratory infection for almost a third of his life now, uh, seeing that he's seven months old. But that's fine, my friends. We're making the most of it, and I am excited to make the most of this time with you today because my friend Quinn Conyers is here. She and I met through the National Speaking Association. Um, She maybe is the freshest dress person at the party, okay? And the the colors are bold. The attitude is bold. The words are bold. I I just love the energy of this human being, and I'm really excited for you to get to meet her. Let me tell you a little bit about Quinn really quick. She's bringing 16 years of professional speaking and event MC experience to the table. She is a hardcore mistress of ceremonies. She's got to do, that's an MC for all you those playing at home. Um, so she's been doing stuff for companies like Nike and Visa and Black Girl Ventures. It's incredible. She's also a published author, uh, author not author. Um, I'm a published speaker, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> she's a published author. She wrote a book called Speak Up, and she also wrote a book called Speak Black Woman, which is also the name of her outrageous podcast. As a speaker, she served numerous audiences catering to women in business and leadership positions. She's committed to training women how to leverage and lean their voices so that they can be wildly successful in every aspect of business. I'm telling you what, y'all, if you're not hype yet, you about to get hype. Let's bring out right now my friend, Quinn Conyers. What's up, Quinn? Yes, yes, yes. Hello, hello. I'm excited to be here. I love that introduction. It made me sound amazing. Thank you for that. Well, well, thank you for being amazing. I appreciate it. Quinn, how's your day going today? It's going awesome and amazing. You know, I'm out here changing lives, using my mm-hmm. voice, and I get to chat with you for a little bit. So no complaints over here. That's a beautiful thing. And now you are in Baltimore, Maryland? I am. That is correct. Outrageous town. Just a great city. Yeah, it is. For Especially sure. if you love crab cakes. Or crabs or seafood. You'll be yeah. at home. Or aquariums. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, for, there's a lot to love about Baltimore for sure. Uh, and I would say it's a fairly misunderstood city, unfortunately, but uh, that's okay. People like to assume things because it's easier than learning. Um, but uh, but I uh, I love I love Baltimore. I was a marine biology major in college, and so anytime I get to go to the National Aquarium, even still today, I geek out, and uh, it's it's an incredible experience. Nice. <laughs> My fraternity was also founded in Baltimore. I'm a brother of Iota Phi Theta Fraternity Incorporated. I don't know if you knew that, Quinn. I um, did know that. And I know it's the Black Lives Matter sign. So you're right with me, my brother. I have no complaints. I definitely knew that. So that is, <laughs> in fact, that was founded at Morgan State University, correct? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. 1963, September 19th. But anyway. Yes. Um, 
It's a little history for all you guys who didn't know about the history of the history. Exactly. Now, you and I are both from the Northeast. I consider Maryland the Northeast. I think you do, too. Um, and uh, though parts of it probably could be. Anyway, but uh, but yeah, so so here's how I like to start off the show, Quinn, um, is that, you know, in the Northeast, we pride ourselves on our diners um, and on our late night eatery spots. And There's a lot of a lot of good things. And so here's here's my first question for you, Quinn. Do you have a favorite late night eating guilty pleasure, right? We're, we're diner talks with James out here and the best conversations happen late at night. I'm wondering, do you have a late night a guilty eating pleasure? See, James, I'm trying to get my sexy back because I have oh. two kids and I'm trying not to eat late at night. But okay. if I had to, I mean, there's a French fry that I have not met that I did not like. So <laughs> if you get me um, some French fries. I like it, it, it's game over. And, and places like Maryland, especially Baltimore, like they do fries on a whole other level. So if you mm-hmm. go to a late night diner, it could be crab fries with Obey and cheese and crab. And this is like, just take me because there's no restrictions. <laughs> I am going to indulge over and over again. So I try to watch it. But if I had to pick my late night guilty pleasure, yeah. French fries every day, all day, sign me up. There's waffle fries, there's curly fries, there's shoestring fries, there's steak fries. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it's a thing. And it's, it's, I'm a recovering French fryaholic. If you, <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. I also love French fries and crabby fries in Maryland are just stupid good. Like it's like like disappointingly delicious because you're like, well, now I need another plate. And yeah, you have to eat them with your eyes closed. Like it, it's yeah. that good. Your eyes closed and you might hum a little bit because it's yep. that good. It is. It is <laughs> indeed. You know, I met. I have a friend. Uh, it's a random side note, but I have a friend of mine who is a. This is a, an actual position. I don't know where my guidance counselor was on this, but she is a French fry expert. And like she goes around and like works with different fast food chains and like helps them like pick out their potatoes and how to fry their potatoes. And like, like this is what this is what this woman does. This is living proof that you can monetize anything. (laughs) Like if you are sitting at home and you're watching this and you're like, oh, my gosh, I want to catch butterflies for a living. Please believe if someone's going to pay somebody to pick out the right potato, somebody's going to teach you or pay you to pick out butterflies. I mean, Mm -hmm. like. Where's that job? Are they hiring? I mean, that's my try take me out of there. I might retire from speaking to do that. Yeah. Um, because that's that's a pretty cool job. Yeah, I hesitated to bring it up. I knew I knew it would probably shuffle some things in your brain, but yeah. either way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Now I'm gonna find French fry uh experts. <laughs> How do I sign up? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Quinn, you are a uh, you put the master in master of ceremonies. Uh, I'd say you put the mistress in mistress of ceremonies, but then people are going to think something else. So you put the master in master of ceremonies. Uh, and I think it is great that you uh, literally are like, no, I want to build a career being a high person like that. Like that's, it's what you love to do. You bring the heat. A lot of other people watch individuals that, that do the MC work. And I do, I do a decent amount of MCing myself and they always come up to me afterwards. They're like, I'm exhausted just watching you. Uh Tell me about where, where did this desire to be an MC? Cause you were a professional speaker first and you've kind of been really drifting more towards the MC space and really kind of planting your flag there. So what is it about being uh, an MC that you just absolutely love? 
You know, it's a great question. And I've done MC work. It just never was a priority because mm -hmm. I felt like it was like the keynote in this industry. The keynote speaker is the God. It's the king. It's the queen. And MC work is like either a nice to have. Sometimes people think it's a necessity. But for the most part, they'll get Bob from accounting to be the MC until Bob from accounting does a horrible job. And then they realize, you know what? He's been voluntold. He doesn't really want to do this, but he's yeah. doing this because he's on the C level or he's on the board and he does it. So I've always done it it just never was on the forefront so I began to kind of dabble a little bit in it and to be honest with you during the pandemic um I got on this app called Clubhouse and I'm sure a lot of people will know about mm. Clubhouse and I mean it is MC work at its finest because if you are moderating a room you're introducing people you're doing the flow and then everybody started asking me like do you MC like regularly because you're really good at this and I'm like I do but it wasn't a priority and then I realized like you know there are some things that we are good at and there's some things that we're great at. And then there's a level called grand and most people don't even tap into what they're grand at. And I realized as a speaker, you know, I was good at being a keynote speaker. I was mm -hmm. great at training, but I was grand at emceeing, but I didn't lean all the way into it because I felt like it was a struggle to find the right client to invest in my services and the training, the keynote, People kind of got that. But once I decided to stop looking at necessarily the the financial, but really focus on what was my superpower? Like I'm good speaking on my feet. I'm not a comedian, but I think I'm funny, James. You know, I got a little joke every now and then. You know, I can put a smile on your face. You know, I'm animated. You know, I can keep the party going. I can close the party. I can get the party started, right? So I just kind of lean into my natural personality and my ability. And then once I psychologically made the choice that I am going to dive in, anything that I do, if I half-ass it, then it's going to show up half-ass. But if I dive in, that's where the opportunities come and I just started asking people around like hey anybody know any MCs doing this work David told me about you I'm like yes we connected through campus speak years ago when I was on the roster and then I just kind of like I'm going in because every other person also I like to kind of shake a couple things up and I mm. feel like I'm a stereotype breaker. I'm a misconception challenger and everybody I was meeting was like I'm a leadership speaker I'm a leadership speaker I'm a keynote speaker I'm a trainer and I'm like I would probably never really meet an MC I'm like that's where I want to go I don't know a lot of MCs. I don't know a lot of women MCs. I don't know a lot of black women MCs. Let me go ahead and disrupt and dominate this industry. So that's when I decided that I'm going all the way in. So I'll, I'll sit on the fence for a little bit, but once I do something, I'm married to it. Like we go together, me and MC, husband, wife. And that's why I just decided I didn't want to date. I'm like, I want to, I want to jump right in. And, and that's where I've been going. And that's where I've been intentional and deliberate. Yes. That's incredible. The uh, we go we go together, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you're not you're not you're not taking a beach entry. You're taking a diving board entry into this career path. Uh, I think that's I think that's beautiful. And uh, and yes, it, the MC role is uh, is all the things you just talked about, right? You got you're the person that's tying things together. You're the person that's kicking it off. That's shutting it down. Uh, the MC role is also a, a really I think the best MCs that I know are very good at tying this bit of education that you just heard into this, right? Like they're, they're master connectors. And so MCs you think are just have to be entertaining, but MCs really need to be exceptional listeners as well. There's this, there's, there's layers to it. Then a lot of times we're just like, who's this goofball up here, you know, balancing a, a, a ladder on his chin. Right. But there's, right, right. there's, there's mastery at work in that, in that space. So now, the interesting thing is that you talked about how this is something that comes very natural to you. 
A lot of times when we find things that come naturally to us, a lot of times it's easy to write the story of, well, if it's easy, I shouldn't do it. Right. Like a career should be hard. Following dreams should take work. And then, and, and a lot of times it's, you know, this is something that happened to me when, when I first started getting paid to be a professional speaker, I was like, why am I getting paid for this? I would, I would do this for free every single day. It just comes, I'm very fortunate where a lot of it comes naturally to me. And, and, and so there was like a guilt over getting paid for my talents that I sometimes had. Uh, and so a lot of times, I don't know if you've noticed that, that people often feel like they need to take the harder route or it's like, it's gotta be something that I worked hard for or that I learned a skill and did the thing. It can't just be what my natural talent is, where my talent met a need and I built a career. Have you ever found that? Yeah, I think it's society and social media who mm-hmm. have, you know, put into the atmosphere that, you know, you should be booked and busy. I want to be peaceful and paid. I don't know about you. I don't have time for this. Right. Or they tell you like, you got to grind, you got to hustle, you got to do all of this other stuff. And it's just like, yeah, no, but it's like if, if LeBron James, Michael Jordan, all the grace can get paid for being a professional athlete. Why can we get paid for being a professional speaker? And just because it comes natural, doesn't mean that we should charge less. If anything, I really want to encourage people to kind of lean into what they're naturally at. So it doesn't feel like work. So you're not exhausted. So you're not burned out. And I think that it applies. Well, when it comes to things that everyone can seemingly do right Mm -hmm. then people kind of want to challenge it like everybody can talk but everybody's not a speaker everybody might have a voice but everybody's not a messenger everybody might have something to say but everybody's not an orator right Mm. so when you find to start to break that down and you begin to show your value and you can articulate your awesomeness you begin to separate yourself and also it is an industry and that's what people have to understand i think when we first get into it we're like oh my gosh people are going to pay me to speak especially that amount of money and one hour that's better than drug money it should be illegal like i need to talk (laughs) to somebody about this like you're going to charge x amount of dollars for an hour like make it make sense it doesn't make sense until you begin to kind of do some research and you find oh this is a real thing people really do get paid for it and i think that's when you kind of settle down and be like oh my gosh there's other people out here like me who want to use their voice and they're getting compensated for it so i think that you're right but i think that every person who is great at something always question themselves people are going to pay me for this i will do it for free and that's what we need to lean into some of us are so conditioned to work hard and bleed for it and sweat for it that when it comes natural and easy we don't even trust it right and i am ascribing to the other thing like i want to lean into what i'm naturally good at you know i i I tell people all the time especially i have two boys and they're both like they're they're four and five and my five-year-old starting football and we're going to introduce him to all sports but whatever he does well I'm going to push him more into that direction. Most parents do the opposite. And I know you have a seven month old and you know, the baby's not quite there yet. Right. Yeah, but yeah. even, We're even going to put him in basketball camp next week, but you know, you should, I mean, he's, <laughs> what are you doing? you're behind. Like you're an awful parent. Why is this baby now having basketball in his crib? Like you should start that one month. No, I'm just kidding. But the whole thing with that is as parents, we'd be like, Oh my gosh, you're not, why are you not better at basketball? Why are you not better at football? But your no. kid is excelling in soccer. But you want to hire the coach for him for basketball and football. My thing is hire the coach for soccer, take him from good to great to grand versus having him struggle in this area. So that's kind of my philosophy. Where can I completely excel? Where can I shine like a superstar? Let me dive into that versus stressing myself out, trying to learn a skill set that's not naturally given to me. So that's how I think. That's how I operate. Yeah. I wrote down uh, society said we should be booked and busy, but I want to be 
peaceful and paid. <laughs> I just needed to say it one. I need to. I think I need to say it one more time for me. I'm sure I needed to say it one more time for somebody else too. And I just need you to know that I wrote that down, uh, and I will give you proper credit. But <laughs> uh, yes, I uh, I love that, and the and the good to great to grand. Uh, that often happens where. Uh, when when we are good at something, we have a natural talent. When we are excited about something, uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's beautiful, and I, I think it's amazing that you have. I mean, it's not to say that you hadn't found it, but that you have now committed the idea of like I will be a business woman around this. This is not just yeah. something I'm gonna do for people, you know, on the side or hey, can I get a speaking gig? Oh, you're not sure? What if I also emceed? Right, like emceeing is no longer your add-on. Um, right. Like emceeing is your, your main course. And if they also Correct. want you to do a breakout, you could, Correct. Um, I think that's, uh, that's really powerful, uh, to, to, to commit that hard to something, like you said, jump, get all the way in the pool. So when it comes to your message and, and what you have traditionally spoke about in the past, um, you talk to, uh, as we talked about in your intro, you, you talk about uh, how women need to speak up use their voice, step into it, grab the microphone, right? The people in power are not out here passing out microphones. Um, they are too insecure. Um, and so, uh, so, um, so that is uh, what you were, that's what you were speaking about. You still speak about it as well. I think it's incredible that you are stepping into a space where, like you said, there's not, not a ton of people that look like you. Um, right. And, and so, even though you're not directly speaking about it, you're directly hitting the message right on the head anyway, um, which is, which is dope. But I'm wondering for you, where was, was, was there a, a trigger point? Was it a death by a thousand paper cuts or was it like a crucible moment where you were like, yo, I need to speak up. I have not like, you know, society has been told, has told me, especially told black women um, to, uh, to, to, to not speak up, right? Um, better to be seen, not heard is something that a lot of women are told, which is mm -hmm. very sexist. Um, and so I'm wondering for you, where did your journey start with like, yo, this is something that matters a lot. Was it a crucible moment or like I said, like a death by a thousand paper cuts? You know, it's interesting because everything that you just mentioned is exactly right. I mean, I am a little brown girl originally from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where the black and minority population is very small. Matter of fact, people are known for the outlets and the Amish people. Yeah. Right. So, Great you know, pretzels. I've, I've, yeah, and pretzels, really good pretzels. Yes. And Hershey Park. Let's be like in Hershey Park. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's interesting because I, I grew up like I've always had diverse friends like it, it was always that you know mm -hmm. but I just remember growing up and, and it and it was that you know I think my earlier how I became so vocal is my mother really wasn't really outspoken and it bothered me I'm like you're not gonna say anything you're just gonna like why don't you say anything and I mm -hmm. get it now right I mean I was born in the 80s but it was just like it was coming from a past where you could not make your voice visible speaking up was not the norm you know um doing certain things so no fault of her own, but she was conditioned to be muted and muzzled. And I just felt very young that I was different. I felt like I was created different. I was born different. I'm going to do different things. And I just kind of made that secret vow to myself as I look back, like, oh no, I'm going to say something. You know, I didn't know this was going to turn into me being a speaker, but I just realized that many people who I know, who I loved, who I admired growing up, they were in fact voiceless and they would come home and then, you know, talk about how they didn't feel good on their job or they felt like, you know, 
they were overlooked for opportunity and they were so grateful for the job that they didn't want to shake things up. So they became quiet. And then, of course, there was a whole thing where women, black women who did look like me, when they would speak up, then they were labeled as the angry black woman, you know, but if someone else who didn't look like them, they were just passionate. Right. So there was so much stigma and stipulations and stereotypes that was associated with a black woman in her voice. I felt like part of my calling, part of my duty, part of my obedience was to give women, especially black women, their voices back. So I do work with women, but I do have a sweet spot for Black women because there are generations of trauma, generations of oppression, generations of things that they were not always welcome to use, leverage, and lean into their voice. And now that I have a platform, and I personally believe that your voice is what you need to amplify and illuminate if you want to be super successful, either in your business or your career, and not using it is going to keep you stuck and stagnant. So I feel like the people who are advancing, the people who are growing, the people who are getting the opportunity are the ones who are speaking up. So really it came from me being and living in a community and, you know, seeing a lot of people who look like me be voiceless. And I vowed that wouldn't be me. Like, I know that makes you uncomfortable. Why are you not speaking up? Because society and generations have told you to be quiet and not say too much, not rock the boat, to be humble. Don't be too loud. Don't be too bold. Right. And there's, Mm -hmm. there's, there's definitely some historical context behind that. Right. But I knew that that wasn't my story. And that's why I decided to use my voice. Are you going to cry? I'm hype right now. No, I'm, 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 I'm just so, first of all, if you put poignant word packages together, like a preacher and, uh, and so it, it just, I mean, I just, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember your word packages that you, but, and, 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 and but, but more importantly, uh, way more importantly than that, that what you just said is, is, is so beautiful and it's uh, out of its tragedy right out of its trauma. Uh, and, uh, it is, it, it is critical. You know, I had, I actually had a, uh, another friend from Maryland on here. Um, she, she lives over in Salis- Salisbury. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, her name is Sarah Lowry and another, uh, badass black woman. Um, and she, she talked about how black women are invisible. Um, and, and, and so that's why that's one of the reasons she does the work that she does. Um, and exactly what you were just speaking about that idea that, you know, you were told to be, um, that you were, you're told to be quiet. You're told to be grateful for what you have. You're told to be, you know, just all of that stuff. And, and yes, uh, that is something that all women are told, uh, but it is always amplified, uh, with black women. Um, and, uh, and it is that they are told that even more so uh, because people in power don't like to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, their discomfort, uh, causes them to ask other people to, can you just be a little more like this? Can you just do a little more of this? Um, right. <clears throat> uh, and so, uh, which is wrong, which is racist. And so it is, it's beautiful to hear what you say. And, you know, I, I love the story about your mother. Um, I was this part of me that was like, come on, mom. Right. Like you want to hear mom, like rise up um, and, and, and really and, and grab the mic. Um, but uh, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, we can't help who we learn from. And sometimes, you know, reverse role models are just as important as role models. Yeah. Not to say that your mother is a reverse role model in life. I, I don't, I'm not going to try to write that story. What I'm saying is in that one particular aspect, you're like, I'm seeing this, but I think we should be doing this. Um, and that, that sounds like it was a super powerful moment to you. Did you ever 
uh, have you ever, and I, I don't know if your mother is still with us, uh, but um, have you ever talked to your mom about why, uh, why she didn't speak or has she started to speak or have you ever encouraged her? Like, you know what, tell me a little bit more about that relationship. You know, we've had the conversation and I think, you know, just to be honest with you, she did the best she could with what she had in her hand. Mm. And I get that now. I didn't get that as a teenager. I didn't get that as a young person. But as I growed, as I matured, as I, you know, got more comfortable with me and to be honest, some therapy is when I began to give her the grace that she needed. I mean, to think about, you know, my mom was 15 when she had me. She was in 10th grade. You know, where I am, to be honest with you, I am a living, when I say legend, because I should be a stereotype. Mm-hmm. She broke that barrier. And, and to be honest with you, I don't know if I would have had the same guts and courage, you know, to, you know, have a baby in high school and, and keep going. So I, I I get it now that she was a kid who had a kid, you know, and, you know, some of the society pressures of you're not going to do anything. You're not going to graduate from co- high school. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. It's just like there was already a shame and a guilt that was on her shoulders. that I could never understand because mm-hmm. we don't meet people. We don't meet our parents as people. We meet them as our parents. So there's an expectation that we give to them unknowingly that they're trying to navigate this world the best way they can. You know, she's growing up in the 80s. She has a daughter. You know, she's 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 making it work. You know, we're not too far off from the civil rights movement. Right. So doing certain things and she's just trying to provide. And sometimes it's just better to shut up and go along with the flow than ruffle some feathers and we could potentially not have what we need. So. We've had those conversations, but I think at the time, you know, her thing was, you know, I didn't even realize that I was not using my voice. I just felt like I was taught that don't do too much. Right. So it was what she was taught. It was what she was exposed to. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, we want to fault people, but to be honest with you, exposure and experience are our best teachers. Once you're exposed, once you're able to see certain things, you think differently. But if you have a grandmother, like my grandmother, who was from South Carolina, who had to drop out of school, you know, in elementary school because she had to work and, you know, she was taught to never look people in the eye and keep your head down, that trickles down. So I, I halfway give my family a heart attack. You know what I mean? Because sometimes <laughs> they're like, I just don't understand. And like, they were like, don't get Quinn started. Like they can tell, like if my eyes go like this, if we're somewhere, I'll be like, okay, so who do I need to talk to about X, Y, and Z? Oh, you don't like the steak? Um, um, excuse me, she needs another steak. And my grandma will just put her head down. They'll, be, they'll go like this. Cause I'm in, if we don't like it and we're paying for it, this is not 1945. This is not 19. 19- she doesn't like it. We need this back, please. I'm respectful always, but once you open up my mouth, my voice, like I can't <laughs> be like it's and then I can I do it for everyone, right? So you know, it just kind of happened that way. So we've had those conversations, but I think more than ever, it was more of a learning lesson for me to understand, you know that times are different now. And we, we, we are given not just a, a microphone, we're given a megaphone and we're encouraged to speak up. We're encouraged to express our opinion. We're encouraged to be a thought leader. We're encouraged to be our perspective, but it has not always been this way. So I have to understand and be just a little bit more empathetic to black and brown people growing up in a different era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a powerful perspective that you just uh, punched in here. And so I'm just trying to work on my alliteration. You're inspiring me. Um, <laughs> you but 
But that's a superpower of mine, James. I never knew I had. To mm-hmm. be honest with you, when I would speak, I mean, there's somebody who reached out to me. They want to do a, a course with me on how to talk in alliterations. And I'm like, really? It's like, yeah. I, I didn't realize that I do it. But now I realize like, you know, I just, it's, 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 it's one of those things, especially as a speaker, that you can really, really relate with me. Most people are like, I want to be a better storyteller. I'm a decent storyteller, right? Mm-hmm. I think I'm good, but I just lean into what I'm already good at. So if I'm always using alliterations, I'm always having a power pack punch moment, you know, I just lean into it, right? So if yeah. I say, verbalize your value, articulate your awesomeness, good, great, grand, like I've always talked like that and people be like, wow, that <laughs> sounds great. Or I've been told I talk in sound bites. I've been told like you really good with words, yeah. you know, and, and that's something that I didn't know. But I found that that's also one of my speaking superpowers as well that I incorporate into my speaking, into my emceeing as well. There are many ways to create a sticky moment. Uh, and exact all the things you just described are that. You know, mm-hmm. We as speakers, um, and really we as humans, we all have uh, our own vocal fingerprints. And you know, I, I, I'm a big hip hop head and, uh, and you listen to different rappers and you can tell right? everybody's got their own, their own rhyme scheme, their own patterns and stuff like that. Um, and so the way that we lean into our vocal fingerprint is often really beautiful. You know, a lot of people come up to me after I speak and say, do you do slam poetry, uh, which is a giant compliment because I'm intentionally trying to find rhythm in the words that I say. Um, right. <clears throat> and so, and just even having a bounce to something and it's, uh, but either way, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's just powerful and it's beautiful. Uh, and going back to what you were saying about your mother and your, and your grandmother, you know, it's funny. I am that person in the restaurant and, and I scare everybody out here in the Midwest. Like there was this grilled cheese that got brought out to me and the grilled cheese was burnt. And I was like, I'm sending this back and I'm sitting there with three Minnesotans. And they're like, you're going to what? Oh no, no, we're not. No, I'm sorry, James. No, don't, don't send it back. It'll be fine. I'll have it. You can have my chicken. And I'm like, I want chicken. I want them to know how to make a grilled cheese. It's not burnt. And so sort of the simplest thing on the menu, you had a burnt grilled cheese to kids out here. And so, so either way, I mean, like they were horrified, but like, yeah, you got to stand up and stand up for others in some of those moments. Now, my mom would never send anything back either. Um, And, but you doing that, uh, not just on a restaurant level, but in a, uh, a passing a a microphone, a megaphone uh, to individuals to stand up for themselves in life and the space that they deserve on this earth is incredible. And you have you have this podcast, you wrote this book called Speak Black Woman. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how, here we go, uh, when in doubt product placement. And uh, <laughs> but, can you tell me a little bit more about the mission of that? And I mean, it, it obviously ties exactly into what we're talking about right here, but I'm curious to hear about, you know, what, how are you doing it? What does it look like? Um, and stuff like that. Yeah. So when I first got started with speaking, I was doing what I was doing, but I was showing women in business how to leverage and lean into public speaking as an income stream, as a revenue source, as a marketing strategy. So it was like I was already speaking and most people said, well, I need to grow my business. And then somebody might say, oh, you need to run Facebook ads. Somebody say, oh, you need to advertise in newspapers or on television or on radio. I believe that if you want to grow your business, you should be speaking because Mm -hmm. most of the times we raise our hand and say, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be 
business owner. And then we don't realize that we're also the spokesperson for our business, our book or our brand. So I realized how many entrepreneurs were literally dropping the ball or they were passing up speaking opportunities or they weren't maximizing or monetizing opportunities when they got asked to speak. Oh, you started this great business. Can you be on this panel? Literally, I had a client of mine call me was like BG&E, which is a huge um, it's called Baltimore Gas and Electric. And she was doing amazing things with her business. And they called her and was like, we want you to be a keynote speaker. What's your honorarium? She's like, what's my who? She's like, let me call you right back. She calls Mrs. Quinn. I don't even know what an honorarium is. I don't even know how to spell it. What is it? She's like, I almost told them, no, 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 you don't have to pay me. I'll just do it. I'm like, you better get this money, right? And I'm like, this is this is what I realized that because we do awesome things, whether you overcome a huge obstacle, you accomplish something amazing, people want you to speak about it. But many people don't know how to leverage their voice in their business. Mm-hmm. So the more I started doing that, the more I realized that, yes, women needed it, but Black women, oh my my God, it was like, it was like even worse. It was like, no, I don't want their microphone. They were leaving money on the table. They didn't know how much to charge. They're like, yeah, they gave me a hundred dollars. I said, how many zeros were added to that? No, just give me a hundred dollars. And I'm just like, what? That is, that is a love offering. Okay. That is not a fee. Right. So I found that there was so much education that had me made for black women around, you started these businesses. Now you're getting opportunities to speak, whether it's a podcast, whether it's being doing a workshop, whether it's doing a training, whether it's being on a panel and you're not maximizing or monetizing. So I wrote Speak Black Woman to show them how they can profit from public speaking in their business. And profit is not just about money coming in. It could be more views. It could be more opportunity. It could be footage of you speaking. It could be testimonials. So just letting them know how your voice is your secret sauce in business. And they're like, you know what? Last time I did talk, I did get like three or four clients of that. Why am I not doing that again? I'm like, great question. Why are you not speaking again? So I would kind of just like show them like the more that you spoke and then just give them different scenarios, you know, on how they can leverage their voice in business and how their voice in their business is really what people want. They don't want you and your product. Part of it is the connection to you. It's the relatability. It's the connection. So I decided, you know, and I, and I went back and forth, like, should I call this, you know, speak black woman? Because, you know, of course, it's women of color and politically correct. But when I look at the demographics, you know what I mean? If somebody is drowning and losing a little bit more, if somebody's house is on fire more, I'm going to save the burning person in the house. Mm-hmm. And the statistics, you know, black women are starting businesses way more than any other race. However, they're failing the fastest. They only make anywhere from $27,000 to $29,000 a year compared to other white women, which is $140,000 a year. There's a disparity of the money that they get. Only 2%, 2% of women get the money that they need to start or expand their business. 98% goes to men. Of that 2%, 0.6% goes to black women. Why is that important? Because since 2007, the amount of black women who started businesses has increased by 164%. So we are starting businesses the fastest. We're filling the fastest. We're getting speaking opportunities, but we don't know how much to charge for them. Or we don't want to shake and rock the boat. So Speak Black Woman is really for that black woman who's in business, who has been getting speaking opportunities. She has been either hosting her own events, but she's not maximizing or monetize them. So I wanted to create a blueprint for her so she can understand that speaking can be a revenue stream. Speaking can be a lead generation. You could speak to market your product or service. And most people I talk to never even looked at it that way. Or they don't consider themselves a speaker because that's the ugly S word when it comes to business. I'm not a speaker. I just saw you do a three-day conference. (laughs) 
Oh, I present, I'll talk, but speaker Quinn, well, that's what you do. I'm not a speaker. So I just realized there was some information and it's good to be chosen. Like, why not? Like choose, decide and dive in. That's kind of how I work and operate. Yeah. 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 It is. Uh, the speaking business is definitely one that more people could tap into uh, than are not right. Because so many people are are writing stories of I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not witty enough. I'm not whatever. I'm not successful enough. Right. That's something that CEOs do and then retire. That's something that athletes do when they retire. Right. Like we just write all these stories because of things that we've seen and, uh, and we get tripped up a a lot of times in those stories in our head and we allow those stories to halt our progress. Um, And so uh, listening to the way you speak about how it's like, no, you, you push people through, through those those barriers that they have often built for themselves right because <clears throat> yes society's built plenty of barriers but there's also the barriers we built for ourselves where we th- we're saying we can't or we're not enough mm-hmm. or we should something else and uh and and so the work that you're doing with speak black women is uh, incredible and is is super needed but also you you know you touch on something that is complicated for many um which is how does one know their value Like, how does one just step up and like, you know, I mean, my first paid speaking gig, I did get paid a hundred dollars. And I was like, I am the greatest speaker of all time. Cause I was like a hundred bucks lunches on me. Right. And I I didn't, I didn't charge for travel. So I definitely lost money, but don't worry about that part. But the thing (laughs) is, is that uh, like, it is uh, right. Like naming, naming your value is really hard. Yeah. Naming your value in a society that consistently devalues you is even harder. How do you get individuals to step up and own their value? You know, that's probably one of the best questions I've ever been asked. And I think that you're right. We have a similar story. When I was in college, I got my first paid speaking engagement. It was seven hundred and fifty dollars. I thought I was rich. I was about to drop out. Like, I don't care what's going on. Like, y'all can have this degree. I am seven hundred fifty dollars. Right. Where my friends were getting seven dollars and fifty cents through work study. Right. Mm -hmm. So one time I'm like, this is the greatest ever. To be honest with you, I think it's like anything else. Your value comes from consistency and getting to know yourself and surrounding yourself with other people in the market. Market. A lot of times we don't validate ourselves. Other people validate us. They'll say, you know what, James, you're amazing. What are you charging? $100. Are you crazy? Somebody who does what you do, they're not even as good. They charge $500. You're like, okay, $500 it is. So it's not like we don't know this. It's you getting out there. It's you experience. And it really is other people confirming and affirming you in the process. Because at the end of the day, I didn't really know this was an industry until somebody asked me the infamous question. Quinn, how much do you charge? Oh, I can get paid for this? And then the light bulb goes off and then you go down this rabbit hole and you realize, oh, you can get paid for this. Then you've got, well, how much should I charge? I don't know. It's through through experience. It's through learning. It's through being mentored. It's through being coached. It's through professional development is how you find your value. I don't think that anybody should just pull a number out the air, right? Like, and it's, it's ever evolving. I give myself permission to evolve and to change. You know what? Yes. Last year I was $1,500 and this year I am $2,500 or last year. You're absolutely right. It was $3,500. Now it's $5,000. I know that we're in a pandemic, but you see this, this is called a studio. You see that wall? That costs something. Do you see this camera? Do you see this lighting? Like, you know, so it's like once you begin to kind of stay strong and you're surrounded by other people, your value increases 
if you are comfortable and confident to express it. So I don't think anybody wakes up like my value today is $2,500. It's experience. And you start learning. You're like, oh, wow. So you mean to tell me that in the speaking industry, the average kind of fee is $2,500 and I'm only charging 200 bucks. Okay. I need to be at 2,500 because you get in the industry and you're the best teacher. You're exposed. Once you're exposed, you can't go back. So you begin to, okay, I'm not ready for 2,500, but let's, let me at least do 1,500. So I think that comes with, you know, literally doing the work and really surrounding yourself with the Jameses of the world. People who are doing what you want to do, learning, becoming a student. I mean, now more than ever, I have so many mentors in my mind. People who don't even know I exist. I got their books from Amazon. I binge watch their podcasts. I watch their YouTube videos. That way I'm like, okay, so James, John, Jamal, and Tyrone all said that when they first got started to charge $100, but when they learned about the industry, they're all charging $2,500. Okay, I think I need to start at $2,500. It's as simple as that. That's when you begin to learn. So hopefully I answered your question. The power of market research, right, Quinn? Yeah, right? there you just, go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just doing a little bit more of that research. And then also, I mean, you said uh, having the confidence and the clarity that you are you are someone and offer something of value um and that value is not just simply you know doing things for free and and whatnot and i'm not saying i still speak for free plenty um, mm-hmm. i did it a ton over i did it a ton <clears throat> especially over the pandemic right I did lots of free stuff because again i love doing this and i happily would do it for free but also you know it's it's a it's the beauty of serving um and and there is something to be said for that in, in my opinion and so but there there is a line but yes you got to step into your value um stepping away a little bit from helping individuals be professional speakers, the idea of speaking up is powerful in meetings, is powerful in uh, job negotiation processes, is powerful in uh, relationships, whether they are the greatest or, uh, you know, the most working in progress exist. These are all technical terms. Um, But uh, (laughs) so uh, the value of speaking up uh, for women is extremely important. The value of listening more and asking for men is also extremely important. Let's always make sure that it's not just that women need to speak up more. That's not, that doesn't solve the world's problems, um, right? It's not, hey, you need oppressed individual. You need to do more. That's how we're going to get out of this. That's not, and I think it's the wrong teaching. Um, yeah. uh, and so it's, it's fine that balance, but going back to this idea of helping women be more confident in, in meetings, in, and uh, in, in those kind of conversations we were just talking about, you know, I know that's something that you talk about from the stage. Um, and I'd be curious to hear, you know, what, what, what are some of your thoughts on that? You know, I think that, Speaking has been a part of our lives since we were born. If you think about it, you know, a mom is super pissed off that the nine month or seven month old baby says dad, dad first, angry, upset. Nine months I had to do the first words are this. And then I remember going to, you know, my taking my son to his first doctor's appointment. And she was like, uh, I mean, his one year old, does he know six words? And I'm like, okay, yes, no, 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 mama, dad, dad, you know, you do all the, yes, he knows six words. And it's interesting because she actually was judging his development based on his speech. And then if you are getting married, right, 
you have to say I do or I will. You can't give a thumbs up. You can't give a head nod. You verbally have to make your union public. And I feel like speaking has been, I mean, even if you get arrested, God forbid, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say or do will be held to get your Miranda rights, right? Yep, yep. So our voices have been a part of our lives since the beginning. And for whatever reason, we kind of forget that sometimes when we get into corporate America. Even in the job that you go for, guess what you got to do? You got to interview for it. Even if you submit your application, you submit your resume or your CV, either way, there still has to be a process when they want to hear from you. You have to talk. You have to explain. You have to verbalize your value. You have to articulate your awesomeness. God forbid you got to sell yourself, right? You got to let them know that you are the best person for the job. And then I think what happens is once we get the job, we're so grateful for the job that we're not used to to speaking up. Or what has happened is there is... um aggressions that microaggressions that begin to happen. So if you do say something, you'll get the nonverbal cues to kind of hurry up or shut up. Somebody mm. will look at their watch or yeah, yeah, yeah. like, so what happens is after that happens a lot, you begin to use your, you lose it. You'd be like, okay, let me not say anything. Cause last time I said something, I got the eye rolls. I got the, can she hurry up? Or I got mm. the oh, nice. And yeah, so what were you saying? Or you gave oh, your information no. and then somebody else gets credit for. So mm-hmm. I, I think that it, it, it's it's a process because again, the, the years of be grateful for the job or you're the only, you're the only woman, you're the only black person. So you're, you're really mindful because you already know there's this pressure on your back and you know, you know, all that stuff. So I, I, I think that the reason why it's important, the reason why I want to unlock and unleash these voices is just because diversity is good. I'm just not talking about diversity in regards to color, because that's where most people go, right? I'm right. talking about diversity in regards to either age. You know, you might be the only person, you're in your 30s and the majority of the people are in their 50s or 60s, right? You might be a millennial working with a bunch of baby boomers. You might be, you know, black, but you're really from Jamaica, right? Mm-hmm. So you're experiencing culturally and things like that. So you're not always comfortable, but I feel like if we want to be culturally inclusive, if we want want to have an environment, especially work, like the diverse voices matter. And the way that somebody else's thinks could be very different than the way that I think. And I think that all those perspectives are beautiful, but sometimes they're not bought to the table. So what my job is to show people how to take a stand so they can confidently sit or stand at any table. And I have a whole methodology on how I do that. And to be honest with you, the S starts with speaking up without saying a word. So how do you get the confidence to speak a certain Mm -hmm. way, show up? camera, right? It all starts with just your your appearance, period. Like, I don't know many Black people who wear purple lipstick on stage. I don't know many people who have blue in their hair, who wear locks, right? But what I find is people judge you first by the way you look and second by the way you speak. So if you come in like a boss, if you are presented like a boss, if you're a polishing professional, people just have to say, some of us are blending in with black and brown, put on a yellow suit, you know, put on a, mm-hmm. put on a red suit. So I just kind of talk about how do you get your voice back? How do you do that? And I have a whole system for that. But, you know, it really does start with my opinion is looking the part. You can't smell me right now, James. I know you can't. You wish you could. I smell amazing. Why? (laughs) Because when I smell good, I show up different. So even if you can't smell me, it gives me a boost of confidence to, you know, wear my Speak Black Woman shirt or I will put some perfume on. So whatever you do to get yourself mentally ready to speak. And sometimes it's like, I don't want to speak up. I know me. My hair is not done. My nails are not done. So little things that I can do to begin to kind of like, okay, let me get myself in this game. It starts with, in my opinion, speaking up without saying a word. Your presence can speak for itself. And then I have a whole you know, strategy and methodology behind how to use your voice, but that's one way and I can give you some other ways to do that as well. Yes. 
I love, and I have no doubt that you smell wonderful. I mean, you uh, uh, tantalize all the senses, Quinn. I, know, I think I, I think I read that on your uh, in your bio, um, but. <laughs> It, yes, I uh, <clears throat> I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of this. You know, I I talk a lot about authenticity and vulnerability uh, in in the work that I do, and I talk about owning who you are. And uh, you know, we all love the phrase "fake it till you make it," but if all you ever do is fake it, you never really make it. However, uh, and this isn't even a but. There is still like when I walk on stage, I need to look good. So there are times where I was like, I, I will literally, I, I talk about it on stage. It's like, I put this shell on today for y'all. I'm not wearing this, this blazer or this shirt or this bow tie um, because of professionalism. Professional dress codes are sexist, archaic, and classist. I'm wearing this because of insecurity. I'm wearing this because I know if I showed up correct, then that's one less thing my brain has to worry about because I'm ready to go. And so I don't consider that faking it till you make it necessarily. It's, it's setting yourself up for game time. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Like, I mean, you don't, you know, you don't see a player, uh, you know, rip off their warmups and they got, I don't know what they would have under there besides the uniform, but you know what I'm saying? They got something else on going on under there. Um, that's like, Oh, there's a bathing suit. Why are you wearing a bathing suit? Right? Like, it's like you, you got, you come right um, to do the job that you want to do um, because it sets you up for success. It's one other, one less thing you have to worry about and you can focus on the greatness that you're bringing. Um, and so uh, I love the way that you just spoke about that uh, for sure. Uh, at the same time, I think it's always important not to, uh, worry about conforming, right? We talked, I talked about comfort earlier. Don't, don't, don't do the things you're doing to make other people feel comfortable. Um, uh, that's not, that's not what we need to do either. Um, and so I think it's finding a balance in some of those things. Uh -huh. Um, I think, you know, you spoke about the angle that uh, women can take and, and black women can take, uh, and you their, their first step in your process. And thank you for sharing that with us. I think it's also important that we talk about the other side as well. Um, is that, you know, what, what can the powers that be be uh -huh. doing to make sure that they are also making sure that, that the microphone is being passed? Because a lot of times what I hear with, you know, the leadership that I have the opportunity to work with the various companies is that they talk about like, well, I haven't heard anything. So I think we're good. Right. But that's, that's never, that's never assuming is never a great thing. Um, right. Privilege at its finest. Say it one more time. It's privilege at its finest. 100%. Yes. Yeah. And assuming is easier than learning every day of the week. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, as a matter of fact, what I tell individuals is that, you know, if you haven't heard anything, that actually probably means something is wrong. Cause that means you haven't created a space where people can feel like they can speak up without uh, retaliation, without having to, you know, hear, have a conversation or something like that. So if you haven't heard people speak up, that probably means you're leading with fear and not with love. And so I'd be curious as we, as we kind of wrap this up, um, you know, what are your thoughts for individuals on the other side in leadership roles to help ensure that the goals of speak black woman uh, of, of women everywhere, use your voice. Um, what, what do you think some goals of leadership could be, or some, some notes for leadership could be? Um, great question. And, and, and allyship goes so much on so many different, you know, levels. I mean, the first thing is taking a look at your board and your C-suite team, right? Like, you know, what, who has certain positions to make, 
decision-making power, right? So people talk about diversity, equity, inclusion. They talk about, you know, company culture, but then it sounds good, but then your board is all middle-aged white men, right? Or you have one or two and not, and that's not enough. It's almost just like, oh yeah, we have, we have one, we, look at her. We have one. Yeah, Come on over here. Show, there's, show there's, everybody. There's seven, but there's seven, let's say, white guys, or there's yes. X, Y, and Z. So I think the, the more thing is, and also asking for opinions, like not just, does anybody have anything they want to add? Or Quinn, what do you think on this, right? Being very direct and intentional, but maybe even, you know, popping into one of those employee resource groups, right? So not just saying, oh, no, we have a group that handles that, but are you as the CEO, are you as the manager, are you as a supervisor, are you popping in to see what's going on, or do you think that that's just what they do for the LBGT people at the um, at the company. That's what they do just for the Latina, um, Latinx people. That's what they do for the Asians. That's what they do for the Blacks. And you're not even present. So again, what if they meet once a week? Are you being present to show that you are, you know, a champion and a cheerleader and an advocate for a diverse community? So it's one thing to have the group and you're never present, but why don't you go out? Why don't you, you know, you, go, you do lunch grenades all the time. Why don't you make a commitment to, you know what? I am going to have lunch once a month with about four or five different employees. Just kind of see what they got have going on, right? Yeah. Um, also, too, when you are hiring, whether it's a trainer, whether it's a speaker, asking, are the last seven speakers, do they all look like? <laughs> are the last yeah. seven speakers the same age? Are the last seven speakers the same sexuality? Are the last seven speakers the same gender? So being able to say, you know what? Because most people, to be honest with you, James, they don't look at it until it's brought to their attention. You know what? I never realized that the last 11 speakers that we hide, hired for customer service training were all Asian. Never really happens. I'm just giving you an example, right? <laughs> we had a Latino, right? Or I never realized that the last 12 people were all Caucasian. And then once it's almost like brought to the forefront, you're like, oh crap. You know what I mean? We do need some diversity. So I don't think, and that's the difference between me and everybody else. I don't think people are out here malicious, trying to hold certain races or hold certain genders down. Mm -hmm. I think you grow up in a certain way and your lens is just different, that you don't see it like that because you tend to gravitate and operate in the lens in the life that you were dealt until somebody points it out to you. Now, here's where it goes wrong. When it has been bought up and you're not doing anything, where it has been brought to your attention and it's yes. business as usual. Yes. So that's the part where now I have to hold you to a different level of, you know, um, accountability because it has brought to your attention. If the last seven women who worked for you filed a sexual harassment lawsuit and you don't think you have a problem, that means you are avoiding things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's almost, and also look at people, to be honest with you on how you can be an ally in non-traditional situations. I am not a diversity, equity, inclusion speaker. Right. So don't hire me for that. Like, I, that's not what I do. So mm -hmm. sometimes, it's like, well, it's Black History Month. So let's see who's there. It's Hispanic it, <laughs> Awareness Month. Go ahead. And like, you do know that we speak 12, 12 months out of the year. Yes. So not doing it when it is a calendar date. Not doing it when it's politically correct. Making it a conscious effort to have a more diverse workplace a more diverse roster of vendors or speakers that you are working with um and i think that is where the shift takes place um because i do think that more people are aware but not even hiring us for traditional things like oh yeah i can do sales i can do customer service you know what i can do it right i don't just talk about diversity equity inclusion like the black, the Latino speakers are not just in this category. And sometimes I feel like that's what happens too. Oh yeah, we checked this box, see? 
see, we checked yeah. it. You're good, right? Like, no, we're not good. That was a little bit stereotypical, to be honest with you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no. But that's my two cents, James. Probably a nickel. <laughs> probably a nickel um, <laughs> from a dime. Uh, so the thing is, <laughs> is that uh, uh, the thing is, I mean, what you just said is 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 beautiful and it's powerful. Um, it is it is something that is way easier said than done. Uh, because it involves looking in the mirror and mirrors are scary places. Uh, it involves recognizing that your patterns have not, uh, have been a part of a problem and not a part of a solution. Um, whether, you know, unintentionally so, as you mentioned, more often than not, because you just kind of go about life, um, right? If you never, if you never think about it, you don't think about it. Um, and so, uh, but once it's brought to your attention, uh, what do you do with that knowledge? Um, mm-hmm. is, is I think one of the most powerful things that you said. Um, and there's a lot of people that uh, in, in fight, flight, or freeze will <clears throat> often choose uh, as opposed to like show up. Um, you know, they will choose fight, flight, or freeze. They'll be like, well, I'm going to get defensive about it. Or um, I'm, I'm going to back away from this because this is uncomfortable. Or they're just going to freeze and be like, I don't know. Um, right? But instead, ask another question uh, and, and learn a little bit more um, and, and do some of that market research. Uh, <laughs> and, and so uh, I am very grateful for your time. I know you mentioned that you got to run, uh, but I'm so grateful that you came here and, and, and the word packages that you speak in the efficiency, uh, in which you execute, uh, is, uh, <laughs> I like that double E efficiency. In which you, you, I love that. I love alliteration. And so like you, I, you, I, I always try to use it and you just inspire me. I'm just, I'm lighting the flame here. Um, but, uh, uh, has made this such a powerful uh, time that we've gotten to share together. And I cannot thank you enough. Quinn, let people know uh, where can they find you and, and stay in touch with your wonderfulness and, and hopefully even bring you in as an MC to maybe a future event. Yeah, I'd love that. I'm Quinn Conyers across all social media platforms. So if you're ever looking for me, it's Quinn Conyers. And yeah, I would love to connect. And thank you. You know, thank you for, you know, being open to connect with me and allow my voice to be visible on your podcast, because I I definitely appreciate that. But again, Quinn Conyers on all social media platforms. That's how we can connect. That's how we can vibe. That's how we can really stay connected. So again, Quinn Conyers, all social media platforms. I have a special emphasis and love for LinkedIn, though. So if you're on LinkedIn, Quinn. Conyers. <laughs> Quinn, thank you so much for hopping in the diner booth with me. I know you got two kids. You haven't had a late night diner run in a while, um, but it's uh, it's an honor to spend this time with you. And next time we're getting French fries together and we're going to Lady in the Tramp, at least one of them. Uh, so. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This will tell you what will tell my husband. And I'm like, wait, what happened? <laughs> Oh, Krabby Fries. You got me. I got to get back over there. Uh, Much love, Quinn. Thank you for coming on here today. Y'all, that was Quinn Conyers, an exceptional woman, an outrageous MC, uh, and just a, a powerful public speaker. And it's important that we remember that it is never the oppressed job to teach the privilege about why their oppression should matter to them. Uh, but I am so grateful that Quinn uh, was open about her stories. And I know I learned something today and I hope you learned something today, my friends. And until the next time we get to hang out, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all stay wonderful. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. (laughs) 
<laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, <laughs> come on now, you're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.